there, you're listening to another episode of my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, and this is my podcast. Actually made a new thumbnail for iTunes and other podcatchers. Maybe you have to refresh your artwork so you can see it. It doesn't look too different from the previous one. <laughs> this episode, like all my shows, are brought to you thanks to my patrons over at patreon.com. And I am really excited to welcome a few new patrons to the club. And today... It is my old friend Jim Gordon who signed up to be a patron, so welcome. Um, a little bit earlier, on May the 6th, uh, there was a new patron, Robert, who signed up. And then on May the 3rd, Green Mountains H79. That's a screen name. Uh, there may be also a personal name connected to that, but I can't really see that in my email right now. And then Samuel has uh, edited his pledge, a very generous supporter. Really, really appreciate the, the support from Sweden. And then on April the 3rd, we had Jeremy and also Nick signing up to be a patron. And in case I didn't mention it last week, Teresa also signed up together with Jonathan Bishop. They both... Uh, well, Teresa was a new patron on April the 29th, and Jonathan joined uh, the patron community uh, by, or actually was already a part of the Patreon community, but edited his pledge and upped it a little bit. So thank you so much for all that generosity. Helps me to make these shows. You know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. Face it, Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. So here's what's happening in this part of the large world in which we live. We had some encouraging news this uh, past week, and that is that uh, we have been behaving so well, and we've been so careful to keep our social distancing and to uh, not infect each other, that uh, the number of intensive care uh, patients is going down uh, very rapidly. So it creates room and breathing room, literally. And so uh, our government has announced that they are loosening up a little bit the, the strict rules that we all abided to for the past weeks. And that means that gradually, over the next couple of weeks and months, more will be possible, provided, of course, that we keep our social distancing and that we stay at home whenever we feel sick. But they now finally have the ability to test anyone who has symptoms of COVID-19. So that will, I think, increase the overall safety. It doesn't mean that we're rid of the virus any anytime soon. And that is also the case uh, for the rest of the world. The virus will be with us for many months to come. And even if there will be a vaccine, maybe next year, maybe towards the end of the year, maybe in two years, the, the scientists are very, very uh, careful um, saying anything about that. But until we have that vaccine, and then it will probably even take another year for to, for, for uh, people to, to scale this up so everyone can, at, can have access to that vaccine. But, but until that, there will still be many, many restrictions. But we'll take every bit of freedom that we get back for what it is. It means that the churches will probably, probably, it's always, you know, they're keeping uh, our pulse every day. So if the numbers and the number of infections 
keep going down, then there is a real possibility that churches will be allowed to reopen on July the 1st. Now, officially, because of this uh, fundamental right to to religion that we have in uh, in, in a lot of our Western countries, uh, it was still allowed, even under these very strict rules, for, um, for faithful to gather in groups of a maximum of 30 people, keeping a safe distance, of course of course, of each other. However, our bishops and also m- most of our Christian uh, fellow churches have decided to not allow any type of celebration uh, with uh, uh, with an audience or with faithful present. So the good news is that uh, probably it will be possible to gather uh, from the 1st of July, so that's still almost two months away from now, we will be able to have masses again with people present however the maximum people that will be able to par- to participate including all the you know the pastors and the acolytes and and sacristans and and whatnot will be a maximum of 100 people that is at least what the government tells us and of course the bishops will uh, will give their own advice and will uh, set up their own rules as to you know how many people will, will be able to gather and uh, especially what the procedures will be. And that is, of course, something that will still require a tremendous amount of work to adapt our churches, our buildings, and also everything we do, like liturgy is kind of has all these different moments uh, from you know entering the church, sitting down, singing or not. In many countries, singing is forbidden in churches, even though they have opened up the, the, the churches for mass. Um, communion, where people walk towards the priest, so what's going to happen there? All those rules will be specified and uh, will have to be implemented in the weeks to come. So I, th- I still think that we'll have uh, a lot of work, so I'm actually glad that they're not opening up everything right now because we wouldn't have time to prepare. But it is good news bec- because the our, our churches and our faithful have been suffering a lot because of the restrictions. And I, for one, am very glad that we all... Uh, had these strict rules, it has allowed us to quickly diminish the amount of people getting infected, and uh, we all know people that are in, you know, part of a a group that is more um, vulnerable, and you don't, I don't want my parents to get infected, so the, I would I would give up everything in order to to, uh, keep them safe, And, and that is true for, you know, all my parishioners as well. So, Let's pray, let's hope that this trend will continue, that the, the, the number of infections will, will continue to decline, the number of deaths and the number of, number of hospitalized people. And let us continue also to pray for a vaccine for all the, the scientists that are working hard globally to free us from this virus. Um, it's it's going to be with us for a long time, and I think the world has changed and will not go back to the way it was. And the church has also, I think, is changing right now and was already in a process of changing. I don't think we'll, we'll get back to, to uh, the things, to the, the, the way the church functioned in the past, but it also opens up a lot of new opportunities. And um, I'm, I'm excited about that. You see a lot of renewal, an accelerated renewal in, in the church. And I'm always thinking wherever you see renewal, wherever you see new energy, new initiatives, new creativity, you can't 
have that without the Holy Spirit working. And so I have great faith that this will, of course, even though this was a very difficult situation, still is for a number of faithful, I still believe that this is also an occasion uh, for us to open up to the workings of the Holy Spirit and we will celebrate uh, his presence in our midst uh, on the Feast of Pentecost. That's also going to be uh, the end of our Easter time. And uh, we will need that Holy Spirit for the weeks and months to come to help us, to inspire us, and to teach us what God wants us to do. And with that, it is time for our first segment. And that is, as always, dedicated to the world of movies and TV shows. Now, theaters, movie theaters, are still closed. They will probably be allowed to open up uh, in July as well. They're going to do that gradually. The sort of at first, only 30 people will be able to go to the movies, and then if all goes well, they will increase that amount of people to 100. But I think it's still tough times for movie theaters. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like the guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking. Puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. So because of this uh, difficult situation of movie theaters, a lot of the, the, the big box office hits that we were looking forward to, normally released during the summertime, most of them have been postponed for months, sometimes years. Well, not years, but definitely until next year. So uh, I think it will be a lot quieter also on the movie news front. But of course, as you know, the movies, the theaters, that's one place to watch movies and to discover new content. But we all have these streaming um, platforms that are more and more the place where you find innovative storytelling. And uh, I was super excited, of course, uh, that uh, Disney Plus decided to release the, um, the Rise of Skywalker early on Disney Plus. So now we have all nine Star Wars movies up on Disney Plus, and they have concluded the Clone Wars saga uh, with the final few episodes. I'll, I'll be doing a special YouTube review of that last season very soon. Um, and I'm also thinking of uh, uh, maybe doing a, an extensive commentary on The Rise of Skywalker now that everyone has access to that movie. And I just want to go through it and, and let you know what why I find that movie so inspiring and so interesting. And uh, But, uh, well, it all depends on uh, how much other work I still have on my plate. And, well, it's, uh, it's quite a bit these days. However, I did find some time to check out a new television series uh, that I discovered on Netflix. And I'm not certain if it is available everywhere on Netflix, so in, if they got a worldwide license. But I wouldn't be surprised because I noticed that it, there is an English version. And the reason that I say that is that the original production is Belgian. Belgium is a country south of the Netherlands, and in that country you have three language groups. The smallest one is German, and it's uh, on the, in the area that is closest to the border with Germany. But then the upper part of, of uh, Belgium speaks Flemish, and that is a, you could say, a version of Dutch. It's very, very similar. We can understand each other, uh, let's say, for 95%, I would say. Our pronunciation is different. Uh, it's got a different melody the, the 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 melody of the of the language is different but we can we we do consider it to be the same language and then you have french in uh, um 
I think it's Wallony. I'm not sure how you say that in English, but it's in, it's the southern part of of uh, of Belgium where they speak a, a certain type of. Uh, well, again, it's v- identical to to French. It just they have a different accent, and some of the words are different. They have a different. Some numbers are different. So where the French would say to ninety, they would say quatre-vingt-dix. So it means 80 plus 10, which is kind of an awkward way to say 90. The, the Belgians are a little bit more modern and they just say nonant, so 90, just like in English a little bit. So anyway, small differences like that. And uh, because of those different languages, of course, it's kind of difficult to, to have a, a, a well-functioning movie industry uh, or a television production because you always struggle with... Uh, actors from different language groups and so are we going to do everything in French or in Dutch? French, of course, has a, a bigger audience in theory because you've got France, you've got uh, you know, certain parts of Africa where they speak French, uh, other, some, some smaller parts of the world, um, whereas Dutch is, is really very limited. Um, however, the Dutch usually speak English better, so we have uh, quite a few actors uh, from Holland and also from Flanders, from from uh, uh, the Flemish Flemish part of, of Belgium, that have international careers. Think of uh, well, he's now deceased, but Rutger Hauer, for instance, um, was a very well known actor in the United States, but he was Dutch, very very Dutch. Um, a filmmaker like Paul Verhoeven, uh, who created RoboCop among other movies, um, is is very Dutch, and you can tell if he speaks English, you can you can hear it right away that he's extremely Dutch. But they have international uh, careers because, well, English is kind of like a second language to us. I recently saw a map of Europe and with colors they had indicated the proficiency uh, of the local people to speak English. And the Netherlands topped everyone else. Like, I think more than 95% of the people in my country speak or understand English. 95%. That is incredible uh, but that's n- absolutely not the case in in uh, a neighbor, uh, neighboring countries so Germany is much lower Belgium is a little bit lower France is uh, <laughs> kind of sad <laughs> a lot of people still don't speak or understand English Italy Spain same thing um, anyway this series uh, that I've discovered is a French I mean, they speak French, but all the most of the actors are Belgian. And it is called Into the Night. And what they did is they dubbed it in English, they dubbed it in German, I think, and maybe in another language. Um, so anyway, so they, they, they really did voiceovers or, or dubbing, not, not subtitles, which is uh, still for many international viewers uh, a challenge they're not used to reading and watching at the same time whereas here in the netherlands we we rarely dub anything so we're so used to quickly read subtitles and i i I don't even register that i'm reading subtitles when i'm at the movies or when i'm watching a, a series on tv but for the English market, they did do a British English version. So everyone who normally sp- in the, during the series speaks French, uh, all of a sudden they will speak to have this British accent. It's just very weird if you switch from one soundtrack to the other. Um, I'm watching the, the French version, and the story is fantastic. Oh, this, if, if you can find it on Netflix, check it out. It is amazing. So... Here's the setting. It is night, 
and an airplane takes off from Brussels airport. There are only uh, very few people on board because right before takeoff, there was a panic. And there's this military guy who jumps over the fences, enters the plane, and forces uh, with his gun... So I don't know how he got through security. So apparently he's like a former NATO uh, uh, military. He forces the pilot to take off, even though almost no one has boarded. There are, I guess, like 15 people on board. So uh, because of that threat, they take off, they fly into the night. And the they were supposed to fly to um, to Moscow, for to Russia. So the flight was bound for, for Russia. And... Uh, the um, uh, the uh, uh, military, the, the so the NATO military forces the pilot to go the other way. He says, "We need to go. We have to go west. We have to go west." And so, first few moments of the series, are like, what is going on? Is this just high? Is this guy hijacking? Why is he so panicked? I mean, he's sweating. He's like super nervous. And the weirdest thing is, there is no reaction from down below. There is no military intervention. Soon the radio doesn't function anymore. And they're flying into the night. And there's like, how is this possible? I mean, th- there's only... Uh, actually, the, the, another thing is the, 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 the pilot, only the co-pilot is there because right before this military jumped the lines and threatened the co-pilot, the other pilot was was uh, was still, I don't know, checking something outside. So, so there's only one pilot. And then... In order to fly the plane, and especially to land the plane, of course, they need a, a, somewhat, a second person. It turns out there is this uh, young woman who has uh, flown helicopters. Uh, she's a former military as well. So she kind of s- sits in the other chair and together um, they fly into the night. That's the title of the series, Into the Night. And then, and this is all in the first few moments of the series, so I'm not s- giving a big spoiler. turns out that this military guy is so panicked because he has heard that in parts of the world where the sun rises, everybody dies. Something has happened to the polarity of the sun or sun flares. It's all very vague at first. But the result is that wherever the sun rises, everybody dies. There is no hiding place whatsoever. And that is why they don't get any reaction. There's nothing happening to the plane. They can, even though, you know, it's they've been, they've been trying to make radio contact. There's dead silence because everybody's dead. And the reason that they can't fly to to the east is that that's where the sun comes up. So they have to stay ahead of the sunrise. But then, of course, it's uh, it's an inter- intercontinental flight, or at least you know from from. Belgium, from Brussels to to Russia, you can still cross an ocean, uh, distance-wise, but they have to, of course, refuel. So they first fly to, I think, to Scotland, where they have to land, and then everybody's dead there too. And and bit by bit, they start to understand that this is a global disaster, and that they may be one of the few people that are still alive, and they have to keep flying. They have to keep to stay away from the sun, and they don't still don't know what's happening. Well, what what hap- What also f- makes this so compelling is the f- the the fifteen people or so that are in the plane all have their backstories, and it's a very similar to Lost, where gradually there's first there's this disaster in the first episode, and then bit by bit the stories revolve around the people on the island, and you start to learn that nothing is what it seems. 
There is a backstory that has great impact on the choices that people make. Same thing here in this series. You start to understand that there is a lot going on with these people and there is a lot that you didn't know at first. And so there is conflict, there is strife, there is murder, there is... ah. Oh, I was watching this and I couldn't stop watching. It is so compelling and it's so well acted and it is extremely well executed. I My guess is that they filmed this in a flight simulator because it's kind of a, more of a low-budget production. It's not a big Hollywood thing. Um, and they may have used, I don't know, just an, uh, an empty airplane, uh, but it's flawless. It's so well done. And so you totally believe that they're in this airplane and because of most of the, whenever they land and they go outside, it's night. So they can play with that to keep costs low. You don't see much of, of the environment and so, because every, everything is happening at, in the dark. And it's a very smart decision, I think, to keep the costs of the production low and still have it be ex very believable and f it feels really high budget. Um, but the story is so fascinating. And they do this, I haven't seen this in a long time. You have this cliffhanger at the end. So you have this episode and then you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it could get any worse. And then at the end, something happens where you're like on the edge of your seat and you're like, no, <laughs> I haven't had that since Lost. That's how this feels. It is based on a Polish book called The Old Axolotl, uh, written by Jacek Dukas. Uh, I probably uh, butchered that name. Uh, I've, I'd never heard of the author, never heard of the book. And it is a science fiction drama. Um, there is uh, at least one Flemish actor who I think normally speaks Dutch. And they don't hide it. I mean, th th this is a an airplane, a Belgian airplane with a Belgian crew. Um, so you have all these different, there's also someone from Turkey, so you have all these different nationalities, backstories, um, which they also use in the story. It is so well done. Um, the, uh, that So I've watched, I think, four or five episodes. This is just the first season, so I don't know how long they can spin this and what's going to happen in the rest of the season. Sometimes... You have these these series that you watch where the first few episodes are like super exciting and gripping and then it just kind of peters out and it's like, uh, it was so promising, but they couldn't keep it up. So for now, it is perfect. Uh, there, I would say, don't change it. Keep going on. I just want to, I want this to go on for a couple of seasons. I don't know. They probably will have to expand this at one point. I don't know how they're going to do that because otherwise it's just going to be in this plane all the time. But it is so well done, and you've got this mystery element that keeps you guessing. There's one distracting thing about this this series, and I, it's like every episode I watch it, and it, uh, it's like, um, okay. The co-pilot, who has a pretty big role in the first few episodes, looks like Mr. Bean. And he really does, and once you... I, like At first, I was like, this guy reminds me of someone, and why, why does this pilot look so familiar? And all of a sudden, it's like, oh my gosh, it's Mr. Bean. <laughs> and now I can't watch that. Ser I can't take him seriously anymore. Because I'm constantly thinking, when is he going to you know, appear wearing a turkey on his head or something like that? <laughs> it really looks like Mr. Bean. So anyway, uh, that's a minor distraction. It's probably just me. Uh, so go check it out. It's called Into the Night. 
a Belgian science fiction drama, and I found it on Netflix. Time for the Peculiar Bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock! It is time for the Peculiar Bunch, the place where we always talk about anything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you're afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Today I want to talk about uh, some sad news that that I heard about from France and the impact that it could potentially have. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than blockbuster video. You, you know, just like I do, that in the past few years, a lot of high-profile priests and bishops have fallen from their pedestal because they discovered um, occasions, they had proof of abuse, um, people showed up, uh, and, and, and the, the situation unraveled, and it turned out that every some of these people that everybody admired and held uh, had, uh, had a huge esteem for them um, turned out to have uh, made huge mistakes, uh, sinned, and even committed crimes. And it's oftentimes related to abuse. Well, the latest uh, episode in this abuse drama that has been unfolding over the past few years is linked to the person of Marthe Robin. Marta Robin was a uh, young woman who uh, was known as uh, a bit of a mystic. She was gravely ill and had been in bed for many years. Um, she couldn't eat. She couldn't take any medication. They, did, they couldn't cure her. Um, and according to the, the stories... She um, she lived for multiple years on just the Eucharist. So there was a priest who came to visit her every day, uh, was her spiritual director, and uh, administered her the Eucharist, the host, and and that was it. So according to uh, the stories that and I've I've heard about her when I was in seminary, she was very well known in France. Um, that was one of the biggest miracles of her life that she was able to live on just the Eucharist alone. There are other saints in history, but much longer ago, that uh, uh, whose life contains sim- similar episodes where, where these pe- people were able to survive on just the Eucharist. So that was seen as a you know, certain proof that this was a very special person, maybe a saint. And then she also received lots of people and gave them spiritual advice and uh, um, prophesied about their future. Some of these people that visited her um, were encouraged by her, came to seek her advice. Um, There was, for instance, the founder of the Brothers of St. John, a relatively new order, uh, that started in Switzerland, if I'm not mistaken, by uh, Father Dominique Marie Philippe, a uh, priest who felt he, he um, was working with uh, students, um, many of whom displayed uh, a, a religious vocation. And so he was wondering should I start a new order? Maybe I should create a new community of these young students so that they can live a more religious life and at the same time an intellectual life. 
One of the things that he did was he went to see Marthe Robin and asked for her advice, and Marthe Robin said, go for it. The same happened with another priest, uh, a brother of this uh, this one priest, who was thinking about uh, starting this community of handicapped people living together with uh, non-handicapped people, the community of the Arch. And he too received a message from her, go for it, do it. Then Jean Vanier, also involved in that same Arch community, uh, visited her multiple times and always had you know her encouragement and she said do it and so these new communities flourished attracted a lot of, of people had great success were highly esteemed and praised by by popes like john paul ii and uh, and some of them uh, received uh, you know a, a status as a new community or a new religious order like the brothers of saint john um, another smaller community not well known in outside of uh, France was the community of the Lion of Judah, uh, which was later renamed the community of the Beatitudes, Lyon de Judah. One of the founders was a convert, uh, was a Protestant minister, if I'm not mistaken, um, who was thinking about becoming Catholic and also visited Martrobin, and Martrobin said... You have to become Catholic, you have to start this order, etc., etc. It was a very flourishing community, very popular. When I was in seminary, we had their, you know, monthly magazine, and I was a fan. I was, it was such a, you know, sign of renewal, and was so hopeful to see so many young people enter that order. All these new communities and orders that I just mentioned, and their founders, have all turned out to have a secret dark side and not just a little gray side but a pitch black dark side they are all tainted by stories of abuse serial abuse um, this one priest who uh, founded the community of the arch has abused many 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 girls uh, his brother uh, Philippe uh, Dominique Dominique Marie Philippe the founder of the uh, of the brothers of Saint John turned out to have a number of uh, of uh, sexual relationships with women uh, women that were under his power under his influence and he had multiple of those relationships at the same time this is not just a s small slip, you know. This was serial abuse. Y he was using his power, his prestige, his charism, his position in that community to get away with it. Um, Jean Vanier, this layperson who uh, was kind of the hero of the community of the Arch. I've met him in person. A very charismatic, very inspiring person, turns out. He was abusing several women. Um, Leon de Judah, so the Lion of Judah, community of the Beatitudes, this father Ephraim, this brother Ephraim, this, so this, this convert from Protestantism, turns out that he was sexually abusing many young women in his uh, community, was covering up for other people, abusing underage uh, girls, uh, also other instances of pedophilia. They were all covering it up and, and, and uh, helping each other get away with it. And then, finally, this priest, who was the spiritual director of Martyr Robin, uh, 
who was the only one who had the key to her apartment and to her room. He was the one who decided who could visit her. And he was also, and this is very shocking, he was the one who wrote down everything she said. He was the one who distributed, who gave her communion. He was the one insisting that uh, she was only receiving the Eucharist and that was the only thing on which she lived for multiple years. We only know that through him. Just yesterday, uh, after a very extensive independent uh, examination, it turns out that this priest has been abusing young underage girls during confession. I'm not making this up. During more than, what is it, 26 women have come forward, all with the same testimony. During confession, he pushed them into admitting uh, sins on, of sexual nature. He would have them sit on his lap. He would touch them, unbutton them. I will just spare you the details. You get the gist. It was this, this priest who played a vital, a key role in the process of beatification that is currently underway of this Marthe Robin. And it turns out that he was the one who constantly had all these other guys, always guys, come to Marthe Robin and get her encouragement. So it is, I, I know that she's not very well known outside of France, but... Well, in religious circles in, the, in, in Europe, she is quite a phenomenon. And uh, she was well underway. Pope Francis, just a few years ago, declared her to be venerable. That is the first step towards beatification and ultimately canonization. All that right now is up in the air. This community around Martrobin had founded multiple homes of retreat. We have one also here in the Netherlands. Places where you can go, where there is usually a priest living with some other um, people that live a consecrated life, and they organize retreats. And it's all based on the charism of Matrobin, as transmitted through this priest who turns out to be a serial abuser and a pedophile. Can you imagine the shock of this discovery, what this does to especially Catholic faithful in France that have seen year after year, community after community, crumble down, being unmasked, all these charismatic leaders turned out to have a secret life of abuse and uh, were able to get away with it because of their status as the guru of these of these communities. It is the same pattern all over again. And it goes all the way up to popes not noticing this, not knowing this, being misled, like the same thing happened with the legionaries of Christ, this order of religious priests mostly. I've seen tons of them in, in Rome, always, you know, same kind of, always very well-dressed, super orthodox, at least that's how they presented them, very focused on fundraising. That was always something that made me a little bit uh, queasy. It was like, oh, well, it's always about money, you know. They would cater a lot to, you know, the rich, rich Catholics trying to raise funds for their missionary work. Well, their founder turned out to be one of the greatest predators that you can imagine. 
and fathered several children, uh, abused many people, old, young, girl, boy, didn't matter, whatever he could get away with. Uh, it took years for the Vatican to, first of all, discover what was going on, and then reform that whole organization. And it, I, I'm not even sure that they, that they managed to completely reform it. Because there was such a, a large cover-up going on that, you know, it's like the mafia. You can, you can imprison, uh, you know, one or two bosses, but it doesn't mean that you've, that you've uh, uh, disabled the mafia because it's, it's everywhere. And it's, it's a whole, the system itself is creating this, this uh, the, 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 the gives these abusers uh, a cover-up and is created in such a way that there is never criticism. That that anyone who is critical is is uh, you know um, uh, accused of heresy or being possessed by the devil, etc. And in the meantime, there is this perversion going on on the inside. Well, can you imagine what's happening right now in France now that this is coming out? And even the, the connections of all these same all these perpetrators that were discovered were uncovered in the past few years, and that they all have a link with this Marthe Robin. It doesn't mean that she was in it, on it, but it, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think at this stage, I would say stop the process of beatification. Examine what was going on. Try to get witnesses. This is not so long ago. There still may be people alive that can bring come forward with testimony, but I would certainly not continue to spread uh, her message. Or uh, I think you need to completely reset this entire process. Um, another thing that I noticed yesterday when I was going to Google, I was Googling like, okay, so once I started to see, well, oh, that guy has been with her, that guy has been with her, and they all have this link, this common link, and they're all linked to these new communities. Um, I was Googling it, and I noticed that on the, the official website, promoting the cause of beatification of Marthe Robin, all those names had been removed. Recently, very recently, they're all gone. But in the, on the internet, nothing is all is ever gone. So if you go back in the Wayback Machine, you can see all these names, and you know, they're they're promoting it even like see how Marthe Robin has inspired this community and that community, and all those names are now gone. I don't like that at all. It's like that is such a lack of transparency. That stings. I have no other words for it. That is suspect. That is something that I think the Vatican should, and, and also journalists should, should jump onto and and uncover what's truly going on there. Does this hurt my faith? Well, how do you react to that? I've I've spoken with friends that are so perturbed that they couldn't sleep after after reading this, and I totally understand that. But can you blame this on God? I don't think so. At least I, I wouldn't dare to. Because God is never the perpetrator in this. He is the one who constantly calls us to conversion. Jesus always confronted sinners and asked them to change their lives or else. <laughs> or else the consequences are for you. Because, you know, you, you are the one who is responsible for your eternal salvation. And that sounds wrong, theologically, because ultimately, of course, it is Christ who saves. But you can condemn yourself. If you don't have faith in Jesus, if you don't follow God's commandments, then you are the one 
who is messing it up for your, for your future. And as we all know, sins like these have consequences for many innocent victims, for many faithful. This can literally turn people away from the church. Scandal is one of the worst things you can do uh, or can cause because it will turn people away from God. So this is a, for me, I see this as a call for conversion, for conversion personally. I have to make sure that I live as a saint, that I follow God's commandments, that I root out whatever is even the slightest uh, penchant for, for, for darkness, uh, for unfaithfulness. I have to constantly convert and try to live as much as I can as a holy priest. And I know, just as you know, how much work there's still to be done. But this is another call for, to action, I think. But also, not just on a personal level, this is also a call to action, I think, structurally, when it comes to these new movements, to the way that we organize our church, the way we deal with criticism in many situations, also in the Netherlands, um, Catholics, bishops, priests, have become allergic to criticism, to people that have another opinion than you, that may not agree on s fundamental issues, moral issues, religious issues, doctrine. What we usually do is we create our own bubble and we reject all those that don't agree with us. You see that happening on the internet all the time on social media. You know, We create our own group of followers. So, And these algorithms out there, they serve as what we want to hear. You will rarely, if you follow only Catholics and good Catholic people and Catholic friends, you'll rarely see uh, news or updates coming from people outside of your bubble. You don't even realize it because you think you the social media are a window on the world, but in fact, most of the time, social media just give you a mirror. You like to see yourself. People that agree with you because they are like you, well... In, in, in this week's gospel on Sunday, we hear Jesus talk about the house of his father in which there are many rooms. There is a lot of place. This is, I think, if you look at Jesus, he is always talking to his opponents. He's confronting them. He's entering into a debate with them. He hears their criticism, not just of himself, but also of his, uh, his apostles when they misbehave or when they supposedly break the rules. And he talks with these people. And I think, and, and even to the point of letting himself being, uh, getting imprisoned by his opponents, tortured by his opponents, insulted by his opponents. He doesn't create an army and starts a cultural war to, you know, reject anything in society that is opposed to him. No, he suffers the consequences of people that don't agree with him. And his reaction is always a reaction of forgiveness and love and showing by example what he means instead of with just fighting with words. And I think that is what a church should do in these times. This is a wake-up call and has been a wake-up call for many years that this is going on, that we should dare to be vulnerable. I, that is why I'm very allergic 
to all this gung-ho Catholicism, like we are the army of God and we are starting this cultural war and all these liberals out there, we hate them, they don't belong, they don't follow the ro- the, the, the ways of, of, of the church or Jesus. I was like, who are you to say that? Maybe God allows these people to criticize you and to make your life hard because it forces you to be humble and to listen to people that may, yes, maybe not from your own club or your own church, but they sometimes see much clearer what's going on and what's wrong and what you should change than people from the inside because they're part of the system. Look at the way Pope Francis deals with opponents. Why does he invite journalists that are not Catholic and sometimes even open atheists? Why does he allow himself to be misquoted in newspapers? Because for him, it is more important to keep talking to the critics and to be involved in this ongoing social dialogue because, of its, its, because it helps him to realize what the world needs, where are the most vulnerable people where in my own organization things where are things going wrong where do i have to convert pope francis constantly says i am a sinner i have been blind i have made huge mistakes but i am going to correct it that is so the way in which pope francis is uh, a leader is not by being this all-knowing guru who exactly has you know has this super plan and directs everyone in the right direction? He's an iterative. He is an iterative leader style. Uh, leadership st- uh, style. He listens. He is not afraid to launch ideas, but he's also never afraid to say sorry if he messed it up, if he was wrong. That is, I think, how he can also deal with critics from within the church. You know, these people that attack him because he's not Catholic. <laughs> you know, the Pope is a heretic. The Pope is the Antichrist. There are even cardinals who sometimes hint at that. And Pope Francis, instead of disciplining them, punishing them, he's like, well, let them speak. They too have something to say, and maybe I have something to learn. I think that is prophetic. That is what we as a church should learn how to do. Because... In a church where, where things have, have gone so wrong, what is necessary is humility and is prayer for forgiveness. Because you can only change the world if you have been changed as a church. And you can only change as a church if you, as an individual person, has really converted and really changed. That's our homework. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? Okay, time to lighten up a little bit. (laughs) I will step down from my soapbox here. Um, And let's talk about books. Uh, And I have a tip for you. If you're listening to this on, what day is it today? It is May 8, 2020, Friday. So if you're listening to this today, which I hope, then you may want to check out the Amazon Kindle store, the U.S. Amazon Kindle store, because guess what they have on sale today only? The novelization of The Last Jedi. Oh, I hated that movie. I hear you say it. Oh, that movie had so many flaws. Hey, I am one of you in the sense that there are 
flaws in this in this movie. There is a lot left out. A lot is not explained. Other things are expanded upon a bit too much. But overall, I still think it is a brave Star Wars movie. And Ryan Johnson really tried to do something different. And I loved it that this movie surprised me and get, went into a direction where I was like, <gasps> what is he doing? And then, you know, The Rise of Skywalker kind of spun it into a different direction, but still made it work. And I think validated also the direction that The Last Jedi took. Well, this is why this book version, this novelization, is so interesting. It's called The Last Jedi Expanded Edition. And what is this expansion? It is a whole bunch of new scenes that add to the story. That maybe if they had made um, one of those Avengers-type movies, three and a half hours long, they would have been able to integrate. And a lot of the stuff that enraged Star Wars fans would have made total sense because you knew a little bit more about what was truly going on. This book is, for that reason, I think vital for Star Wars fans because it sheds light and a lot of these extra scenes are coming from the original scripts, from the original plans that they had for this movie. Um, and so it contains a number of scenes that make you go like, oh, that is why this happened. That is why he or she said this and this. And that makes it, I think, really compelling reading. The opening is totally different from what you saw in the movie. And it fixes one of my biggest pet peeves when it comes to The Last Jedi. And that is, and I've said this uh, many times before, so I'm not going to expand upon it, but you know... At one point, Ray is asking Luke to teach her. And then Luke says, three lessons. And he only gives two, because the last lesson was completely cut out. It was a whole sequence that had to do with the inhabitants of the island, and then Ray panicking, and then ultimately turns out to be kind of an Ewokese type of party that she ends up with. Uh, it wasn't the best lesson. It wasn't the best part of the story. And I totally understand that they cut it out of the movie because it was not very good. It wasn't working. And there are uh, actually expanded scenes or uh, what is it? Uh, scenes that ended up on the cutting room floor that you can still see on the Blu-ray. But it was left out. But what they didn't change, what they didn't fix was that promise of Luke Skywalker. I will give you three lessons. Um, okay, in hindsight, I'll, I only give you two. I forgot about the third one. And that just bugged me. I was like, come on, you could have reshot that one promise. That Don't say three when you only give two. Never set up something that you don't pay off in a movie. So that is, I think, a, a real flaw of The Last Jedi. It's fixed in the novelization because there you have these three lessons. You've got Luke Skywalker saying, and this, Ray, this was your third lesson. Wrapped up nicely. It is all good. So, in a way, this novelization has comforted me a little bit that there were still three lessons. You see, I was right. I missed that third one just as much as you did. So, go check it out. And in case the sale is over, eh, you may want to keep an eye on it. And uh, whenever it goes back on sale, uh, take a look at it. By the way, the audiobook, that's how I first read this book. I now bought it in the uh, digital version. Um, but I did listen to the audiobook um, because it was on, you know, part of the Storytel uh, um, uh, subscription that I that I have. But unfortunately, because of uh, 
I don't know, commercial reasons, they kicked out all the Penguin books, and this was a Penguin audiobook. But that's how I listened to the audiobook, and I loved it. I really loved it. So if you can get the audiobook version as well, via Audible or something like that, get that one, it's worth it. And that's it for today's book segment. But wait, we're not done with Star Wars yet, because next on my list is science fiction. And we need to talk about the most popular character from the Star Wars saga. And you think you know who it is, but you're wrong. It is someone different. So, who is the most popular Star Wars character right now? I'll let you know in a second. I see aliens. Little aliens from outer space. And how are things in outer Plutonia? How many times have I told you not to wear your space boots in the house? Go to shape. I mean, you can donate my body to science fiction. Get your suit on! We need ya! Look, I am the most popular character in Star Wars. For many years... That was true. But Vader is wrong. He has been dethroned. He is now not number two, but he is number three. I feel so sorry about Vader. He had dedicated most of his life to the ways of the Sith, to use the Dark Force, to be on top of the food chain, to have every Star Wars fan know him, admire him, maybe not love him, because that's not a Sith Lord thing to do, but definitely respect him. But Darth Vader is no longer the most popular character for Star Wars fans. According to new data, there is a disturbance in the Force. According to an analysis by SEM Rush, I don't know what that is, but I suppose it's uh, a website, uh, they did a poll... Again, no numbers. Maybe this is not scientific. So there, there may be a, a way for Darth Vader to still claim that he's number one. But according to this article that I found, Vader has slipped to the third place. And guess who is number two? It is, of course, the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian. Pedro Pascal's character um, from the series of the same name the mandalorian currently preparing its second season it will be with us in september already i am so excited this is the best thing that happened to the world of star wars in many years um at least for most star wars fans but the mandalorian is now more popular than vader and better known than vader can you imagine it so who is number one you all know that once I mentioned the Mandalorian, there can be only one king of the jungle, one emperor to rule them all. And it is, of course, our cute little baby Yoda, <laughs> the child, as he's officially named. He is now, or he, or she, or it, we don't even know his gender, but baby Yoda, the child, is now the most well-known, most popular, most loved character in the Star Wars universe, in the Star Wars galaxy. This data, according to the article, is based on searches from the past year, and it shows that Baby Yoda saw 4.7 million 
average monthly searches worldwide. 4.7 million per month. This pushes the Mandalorian's traveling partner above his own average, so the Mandalorian's average, of 2.5 million monthly searches. So, only 2.5 million people typed in Mandalorian in their browser, and 4.7 million people were looking for Baby Yoda. Something tells me that Baby Yoda is going to be with, be with us for a long, long time. So Darth Vader slipped to third place with only, still respectable, 893.250. So 893,250 monthly searches. Yoda, her, Yoda, isn't far behind with 8,082, no, eight, <laughs> 500 searches. And it's probably because people were typing in Baby Yoda and then just wanted to know something about Yoda too. So Yoda has, his numbers have been boosted tremendously thanks to his smaller cousin, child, neighbor, fellow planet Yoda child. I don't know what, what the relationship is. And then um, it's interesting to see the rest of the, of the top 10. Guess who comes after Yoda? It is Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren. Despite his uh, temper, uh, but thanks to his cool helmet and his awesome, awesome story, Kylo Ren is now in fifth place. I hope he doesn't get uh, fits of anger because of this uh, kind of humble position. Still not topping Vader. <laughs> it is Kylo's constant frustration. I want to be like Vader, but they don't let me. And then after Kylo, and this makes me sad, on sixth place, Chewbacca. <laughs> He's only sixth place. I thought he would definitely be in the top five, or in the top three even, but no, Chewbacca is only sixth place. And then seventh place, that is weird. I don't understand this. Anakin Skywalker. Seventh place. I, of course, Anakin Skywalker is, spoiler, Vader. But he's only seventh place, and it's probably thanks to the Clone Wars series. But Anakin Skywalker as a character, this whiny guy, like, Obi-Wan never lets me do this and that. Oh. Seventh place. He shouldn't even be in the top ten if it were up to me. Boba Fett, eighth place. So he's still in the top ten, which could be interesting for the next season of The Mandalorian. And then... Ninth place, Anakin's child, Anakin's son, Luke Skywalker. But I was going to Tashi Station. No, you're ninth place. And then tenth place, that is even more baffling. Number ten, it's not Leia. It's not Han Solo. They're not even in the top ten. It is Jabba the Hutt. Okay, what what the heck is Jabba the Hutt doing in the top 20? Oh, come on. Where is Leia? Where is Han Solo? Where were the Star Wars fans when they were typing in search terms? Come on. This can't be true. Anyway, it's weird. What do you think? What is your top 10? Let me know in the comments on the website. I'd love to, or on the website or on social media. You know how to find me. But I'd love to hear who should be in your top five, in your top 10. 
But then maybe next week we'll uh, get back to it and correct these numbers because they're shocking. Hey, for my Patreon supporters, I'm going to record another podcast. It's called Father Roderick to the Max. This week in Father Roderick to the Max, I will talk about my new DJI Mavic Mini uh, drone. And I'll give you the secret recipe of one of my favorite soups. It is shark fin soup. Dum, 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 dum. So if you're a patron, you're lucky because you will get to make the same soup that I love to make. And it doesn't contain sharks. Spoiler. We'll talk about uh, some German reading lists frustrations. And I'll give you a review of a comic book about the journey to the rise of Skywalker. I'll quickly review the new Harry Potter Lego sets, and I'll talk a little bit about the Oculus Quest 2 that is currently in preparation. And then I have an awesome tip for some digital board games that you may want to check out. All that exclusively for those of you that support me as a patron, and if you want to get access to that podcast, go over to patreon.com slash fatherroderick and become a patron. It's a fun community. Uh, It's really not expensive. Hey, $2.50 per month makes you a patron and then i'll mention you on the show as well so join the fun it is i'll make it worth your while and then of course you'll get access to the podcast father roderick to the max for those of you that are going to listen happy listening and for the rest of you see you next week take care and god bless and stay healthy